0: Hey everybody and welcome to the Blizzard Watch Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm hosting. Alongside me is my co-host with the most ghosts. I think he's got ghosts. I don't know. I, I, I needed to rhyme with most and I panicked. Uh, Joe Perez. Hi Joe. I'm sorry about the ghosts. That's sorry.
1: okay. My body is a ghost factory that takes one lifetime to produce.
0: Yeah. That's like the, the one that someone said to me. is like everybody you meet has, literally has a skeleton inside them waiting to come out. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> Howdy everyone, it's the Blizzard Watch Podcast. I don't know why I suddenly did that. <laughs> but we we're gonna do like a we we're gonna do the top stories thing, but we don't have that many because you know we're in that place where, you know, stuff is waiting to come out. And so we're gonna do something a little different with the top stories in that we have a topic we're gonna talk about rather than a story as such. And that topic is this has patch nine point one taken too long to come out?
1: Ooh, that's
0: a loaded topic yes it is i I didn't choose to softball it on our first attempt at this uh joe give me a short answer first and we'll talk back and forth
1: i don't think it has from the simple fact of i would rather content take longer and be of quality than be rushed and be terrible um okay that is Um, the short answer that's the short answer
0: okay i do think that saying too long is of course subjective I do think that there has been a lot of strain in the community over the fact that it's taken six, seven, how many, like seven months at this point and, and counting for this patch to come out. Mm -hmm. And I think it would have been better for everybody if it had come out sooner, but that doesn't mean they should have put it out sooner because Joe's point is pretty valid. You don't want, you don't want it to be a bug filled mess. You don't want it to have all sorts of issues. You don't want the balance to be off. Nothing is ever perfect. Especially in you know MMO patches, literally nothing is ever perfect. It's always going to be like when 9.1 comes out, I guarantee you there will be bug fixes that day. Within a couple hours of it launching, there will be some major problem and there will be a bug fix for it. That's going to happen. But at the same time, this, this patch has been on the PTR for like, what, three months? It's
1: been a hot minute, yeah.
0: Yeah, and they're still not done testing it. This is a big patch. There's a lot being I mean, added.
1: Heck, the Sylvanas fight alone is massive amounts of testing just because of the scope of it.
0: Yeah, and there's like there's the new raid, which is a substantial raid. There's significant changes to Torghast. There's really big changes to the Maw. Flying is being introduced into Shadowlands. Mounts are being introduced into the Maw. Korthia, an entirely new subzone of the Maw. There is a lot... There's a new, there's a new mega dungeon. Um, uh, there's new legendaries and like new, new levels of legendaries and a new system for leveling legendaries. One of the things that I saw somebody talking on Twitter, and I apologize, I can't remember who it was, but it was a really good point because he hadn't been playing WoW, like he didn't start when we did. He came back to the game like a month ago. And he made the point he goes maybe you guys are used to this, but to me, there's so much endgame progression to do. Like there's like five systems I'm interacting with. That's a lot, and I stopped and thought about it. Like I was like, yeah, you got to get anima to to build up your your sanctum. Then you need to make sure you've got enough uh, soul binds that so you get your three soul binds and you, you can you know, get that done and then you need to get conduits for your soul binds and make sure that they're all linked up and they're the ones that really have work for you and then you you know have to spec them for each spec you're doing of course you have to choose the covenant and you have to get your renown up so that you you get through the story and get you know, and it's like yeah and that's not even counting like PvP or doing mythic plus or anything I, mean, I, didn't, I don't think I even talked about like you know each each covenant has its own subsystems. That I didn't talk about. I mean, there's a there is a fair amount to, uh, to do. There and is, it's for a new player. It can be pretty daunting.
1: Like I said, there is a lot in game. Like, in it's not going to resonate with everybody. Not everybody's going to want to do everything, and that's totally fine. That's a okay. But there is actually quite a bit, uh, and depending on what you digest, it, it you know, or, or what you choose to digest. That can alter your gameplay. Like for me, really, like I get to play two nights a week. Um, I could play more, but I have other things that I need, I need or want to do. Um, so, like most of my night or most of my nights have been spent focused on raiding with my wonderful team at TTGF. And when now that we're done with raiding between tiers, I get to focus on something else I like doing, which is doing Mythic Pluses with a, a core group because I think that's fun and that's the way that I like to consume that content. So for like me as that type of person, I I don't feel that length of time probably as much as other players do because I'm content. I'm content with the time that I spent uh or what I'm spending in game with the level of stuff that I'm consuming. That said, I can understand why some folks feel that the the distance between the patches is too long um but it, it is it's a wildly subjective thing and the scope of what they are adding in on top of what's already in the game it's pretty large and they they it looks like they're focusing on larger patches and larger drops instead of what we've Mm -hmm. seen them do in the past which was
0: um little trickles of of content uh every now and then it's of course one of the problems is that this expansion came out during a moment of extreme crisis.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: It's, it's, I, I always feel, I keep reminding people of this and I feel sometimes maybe I overemphasize it, but I think it is important to keep in mind here that this expansion came out last year. And last year was when the blizzard had to work shift entirely to a work from home posture. Mm hmm. When they didn't like for years, they were developing stuff. At the campus, and now they suddenly you weren't there at the campus. You were at home working from home. That's a big shift, and and we keep like, I think we underestimate how much work it and, is to do that, and how much work had to go into this expansion. And and here's something that I
1: think a lot of people don't consider either. And when you're working from home, and 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 not um, not to like homework, explain to anybody. But there are certain mentality in in some people that do this that they overwork because they're at home. There's no separation between work and office anymore. And they burn themselves out and have to take time off. And I know for a fact that I'm one of those people. I can't work from home like that because I will overwork. And I know that that was happening to some people I know that were working on this, where they would, you know, find themselves working way more and longer than they, they thought they would, and then they needed to take breaks to recover and recuperate. Um, but the stress of all of that that, that was a major undertaking, and that sets everything back. And then you have the other aspect of, you know, not working face-to-face anymore. A game this large with as many teams as you have... I don't know if people really realize how much collaboration goes on, right? The there's your systems teams, your class teams, your uh, stories, your, your in-game cinematics and everything else. All of those people have to work together and interact. And it's a lot harder to get everybody pinned down. Maybe when they're working from home, than it is to maybe walk down the hall or cross campus or, you know, do something like that. And, Yes, technology allows us and we exist in a digital world where like hanging out with your friends on Discord is perfectly normal or, or you know, even before everything was happening like this, Roll20 was a thing and, you know, Google Hangouts was a thing, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a different mindset, a different shift in how you produce content when you can't just sit in a room and bounce ideas off of each other physically in person. It changes the dynamic of that. And it can be more time-consuming to do it now digitally because of that. So,
0: also, I mean, I will. I'm going to say this much though. I, I do want to say this. There's a difference between if it took too much time and it was avoidable. I do think it is taken too long for Passion Nine Point One to come out, but I don't think it was avoidable. Yep, uh, I think you always want stuff to come out faster. You always oh, yeah. want there to be more content available. Um, But considering like the the game itself got pushed back to November of last year, considering like, you know, we had the pandemic and then, you know, the holidays right after it launched and then having to get it in, you know, ready to be tested and then having to test it, there's only so fast this process can go. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it has been faster in previous years. And I think that the timing was not great here, but there's again there's a limit to how much is avoidable. Uh, There's always going to be new stuff that that needs to be done at a certain way. And I just I see a lot of discussion about this, and I to a certain degree, like I can't really come up with a with what they could have done. I don't feel like they've been wasting time. I don't feel like they've been messing around. All the content that's coming, it is huge. I don't think people really understand how big this is. Korthia is massive. There's like new systems coming out, like the, the new invasions that are coming out. I don't think people know that they are coming out. Mm-hmm. The the tor- the Tormentors of Torghast thing, that's, a, that's by itself, that's almost as big as the invasions from Legion. That's yeah. just one thing that's coming here. So was it too long? Probably it was too long in terms of what players were willing to sit through. But thats I I don't think it was avoidable. I don't think there's a way it could have come out much faster. Uh, But that being said, I don't know how fast it will come out. I don't know when this is going to come out. It feels like they're in the final testing process, but I'm not there. I don't know how far along they are internally. I have no idea when we'll get a release candidate. Uh, I would not be surprised if it came out in July. I feel like July is where we're going, but I can't say for sure
1: yeah and i mean and that's only a couple weeks away at the at the time of this recording so it's not not out with it without reason i guess your your estimate i think it's i think it's probably a pretty accurate
0: yeah but so we've talked about that one uh we're going to move on to like something that's news i don't really think it's an it's not so much an opinion piece i would like to come back to some other topics like that though so if you guys liked it let me know and we'll start doing more of them Mm -hmm. um but the next one is that uh, they've got a release date for Diablo 2 resurrected. It's September 23rd of this year. And Diablo 2 resurrected is a game I had no idea I wanted. Like straight up, I was not I was not interested or excited about it. I oh. straight up wasn't. Oh, I and told then it I, was. I the hype came out and I was like reading the hype and, and, go, and then I got into the beta and tested it. And it's astonishing. How engaging it is Uh, but it is very different it is a mindset change from Diablo to 3 if you've been playing a lot of Diablo 3 don't go into Diablo 2 resurrected thinking it's going to be like Diablo 3 it's not Um, I mean obviously it's got it's, it's a Diablo game they all have a lot of stuff in common but it is very much its own thing and it plays um surprisingly faithful to the original like it, it is the same game. You, you do not feel like you are playing a different game. It's not a remaster that feels like it reinvented it. It is very much like as much as could be kept was kept. It's almost like I'd say it's ninety nine percent the same experience.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: There's, there's a couple of little changes here and there, but it, for the most part, it's it's the same game.
1: I also think it's interesting. Like, and I don't know uh, who decided to do this, but I, I mean, it's a. I think this is really cool too. You if you haven't played Diablo three at all, there is a pack that you can go that not only can you buy Diablo 2 Resurrected, which is uh Diablo 2 plus the expansion for Diablo 2 Lord of Destruction, but also comes with Diablo 3 and everything that's come out for Diablo 3. So the the Reaper of Souls, Rise of the Necromancer, and a bunch and like a pet and wings, which is pretty cool, and like it's 20 bucks more, which, you know, Price of games aside, or, or that discussion, I think it's pretty neat, and I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this, and I I cannot wait to get my grubby little hands on it.
0: Yeah, and it's going to be for you know consoles as well as PC. So if you're a console gamer primarily, you'll be able to play Diablo II Resurrected from the get go. It's not coming out later; it's coming out at the same time. Based on how good the console port of Diablo III was, mm-hmm. and considering that the te- you know the Vicarious Visions team. Console ports and and remasters are what they do. I feel like this is going to be a good game to play on consoles. Uh, I play a but I when I was playing the beta test um I would play it on a pc but I played it on a pc with a controller with an actual PlayStation controller because that's what I've got plugged into my computer and it worked really well it It was surprisingly fluid it was it was quite enjoyable so yeah, if, if you're a console player and you don't normally play games like this, give this one a shot. It's it's actually it's something I'm really excited to get to see people play for the first time. People have never played it before. I want to see how they oh, react yeah. to it. It's a, it's a different experience than most modern games. Most modern action RPGs live in a world made by Diablo 2. Mm-hmm. But Diablo 2 didn't live in that world because obviously it didn't exist. You know, Diablo 2 made it, so obviously when they were making Diablo 2, they weren't reacting to Diablo 2. It wasn't out yet. Uh, that sounds weird, but it's it's kind of like thinking about the Beatles. Again, I often use the Beatles to talk about Diablo 2. The Beatles may not be your favorite band. It's not my favorite band. I don't love the Beatles. I, I like a lot of their music individually, but I'm not like a major Beatles fan. But I live in a world that I literally, my entire life, the Beatles have existed. They shaped the world. After them, music was went a certain way because of the influence that they had. That's Diablo 2 for action RPGs. Diablo 2, every single action RPG that's come out since it has been influenced by. Oh it. yeah,
1: one hundred percent.
0: Some of them are straight up li- like trying to make it again. Um, Chaos others are pain. just. <laughs> yeah, others are just, you know, because Diablo 2 did it this way. We're doing it different, so we're different. And that's something that I feel like when you go play Diablo 2, it it feels super familiar, even if you've never played it. But it can surprise you with stuff that just they don't do in modern games anymore. Um, The inventory system, which they left in pretty much entirely the same as it was. You will be surprised by it. You will be like, really? I have to do that? Yes, you do.
1: Get ready to use a Haradra cube as storage there, folks.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So they did put in a stash this time because people were going to, going to make one anyway. They were going to create a character just to send stuff to it. So they're like, fine, you can just have a stash. Uh, But yeah, it is interesting to experience this game coming back at this time because it is, it is the thing that made this genre. Um, And before, before Diablo, Action RPG didn't mean much of anything. People used to call the Zelda games action RPGs. Yep. And then Diablo came along like, oh, no, this is what that is. Zelda is just an RPG. This is an action RPG. This thing is what we're talking about. So, yeah, I I am super excited to get to see people play it. I'm really looking forward to September 23rd. Uh, I will probably have the game that day. Um, I'm I'm looking at my pre-order options right now. I mean,
1: I already pre purchased so, yeah. it, so I'll be playing yeah. that day. You, 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 if you try to find me on that day, that's where I'll be. But yeah, yep. it's it's good times, man.
0: This is exciting for me. I, I, I feel like after the Warcraft three problem, um, and that was that's an example I think of game hype really destroying what could have been a really good launch. Agreed, uh, people. Be- it, they had gotten people interested in it in a way that turned out not to be what they were doing. Yeah, it, it ended up not being good. So I'm really excited about this. I, I want this to be the the remaster that that sets the tone. Um, I'm really excited. But it, I think that pretty much covers it for news. So we should move on to do some emails. Indeed. Would you like to give your spiel, sir? Okay. Should do that, shouldn't I? Um if you've got a question for the show, you can use the email to send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast at blizzardwatch. So we know it's for this show. Because quite frankly, I'm really tired of putting on the loincloth to wrestle with Joe for questions. And I'm sure he also doesn't want to do it anymore. I mean, it's really hot. And so slapping ourselves together in a wrestling type thing, it's just, it's, you know, it's just it's really warm. I don't want to do it. So, you know, keep that in mind. Um, but if you, you know, want to use our Discord server, Uh, You can go to patron Q and podcast questions channel where we look first because you're a patron and we want to look at your questions. It's a thing we do. Or you can go to the Q questions channel. Uh, That's for anybody who goes to Discord. You don't have to be a patron. We do go to that one last, but you know, it, you've got a decent chance if you put a question in there of it being answered. We even put one in this email, although technically we didn't put it in this email. I put it in the next email because I had forgotten to put it in this email, because that's the kind of professionalism you want from your host.
1: But it exists in this, in an email format for us to read. <laughs>
0: yes, we are going to try and get to it. Uh, Joe usually reads them for us, so if you don't mind, Joe.
1: Not at all. Uh, first up, question for Blizzard Watch Podcast from Vertigree, the Forsaken Mage. Why are PvP talents PvP only? I can think of useful things to do. For instance, with frost mages, uh, my and Jaina inspired ice wall, and the demon hunter thing where they leap into the sky during PVE content. Um, there was a decision a long time ago when they started paring down uh talent trees. If you didn't play during vanilla or BC or before the Great, what I call the talent culling, um, everything was just kind of thrown in to like a mishmash of everything exists in whatever your spec trees are. And so PvE, PvP was all mixed together. The problem with that is that the game evolved from what it originally was, right? So when the game originally came out, there weren't arenas. There were battlegrounds at some I've
0: fairly in early. Battlegrounds. On, battlegrounds were like around patch 1.3 to yeah,
1: 1.4. They they were they were they weren't like initially released and the idea of PvP was something that you experienced in the world. So it made more sense to have all of your talents kind of in one place because you could be going to, let's say, Black Rock Mountain, uh, getting ready to go into Blackwing Lair. Uh, and then all of a sudden a Night Elf, uh, decides to Unshadow Meld and, uh, True Shot you with, from stealth with guaranteed 100% crit and one shot you because that's a thing that I used to do to people. Um, and then you'd find yourself in a protracted engagement, or maybe it was some tauren mill, or that was how the game was. Now it's completely different animal, right? It's PVP is its own separate, almost like game inside of the game itself. And so if you do arenas or rated battlegrounds or things like that, having a talent pool that specifically affects that in your abilities in that context makes more sense because then they don't have to balance PVE content uh, like raids and dungeons and mythic pluses and things like that with those PVP talents in mind. And it makes it a much easier task to do both of those things and make them good or as good as they can make them without having to worry about the other. We used to do some real janky stuff with PvP talents and PvE, let me tell you.
0: I mean, one talent that is a PvE talent that you can use in PvP, even to this day, that priests have is mind control. I lost count of the amount of times I watched uh, our priests' mind control horde characters into the lava in Molten Core. I mean, around Molten Core on their way to try to go to the raid and, and vice versa. We would have it happen to us. If you look at the, the very example you used, the abilities you mentioned, they can be cool and have a real impact on gameplay because they're limited to PvP. If every, you know, if every single demon hunter could just leap into the sky and most likely avoid a ton of horrible things that you know hit people they would do so you know what i mean it, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be a you'd want to have that you do it and that would mean encounters would have to either be designed to make that not reasonable which could have all sorts of problems if if now the boss damage is doing weird stuff to make sure it hits people yeah th- there's a lot of balanced stuff that it just isn't It's better to not have to have that. It's better to not, you know, that way you can make talents that that feel cool and unique and do something cool in PvP without trivializing anything in PvE and vice versa. Yeah. I mean, you can use use almost everything you can use in PvE in PvP. Um, Some things don't work the same way. Some things have diminishing returns or or don't affect as much. I think um, crowd control is a good example of that. Oh, yeah. Crowd, Crowd control is not as powerful in PvP as it is in PvE. Um, because on purpose, because there was a long time there where crowd control was super powerful, and therefore it was very powerful in PvP. And then they, you know, they would go back and forth on it, and then it wouldn't be as good in dungeons. By having it be something that is not as good in PvP, you don't have to worry as much about you know every class having a. I think for a long time there, I think every everybody was like a gnome or a human or a forsaken. That was a big part of, and then. I think with with Burning Crusade, n- blood elves became extremely popular because they could silence everything, and it was a it was a AOE silence the the arcane thing that they could do. I don't remember what it was named, but they had an a- it was basically a, like a, a magic interrupt they could do. I think they can still do it. I haven't played a blood elf in a while, but arcane torrent was that what it was called? Arcane torrent, yeah. and. That that had PVE and PvP balance issues, so there's there's a there's a a reticence on their part to to open that box again. I, that's one of the reasons I think the PVP talents they're designed for PVP. They're designed to be used in PVP against other players. Uh, not in in a weird sort of way. It's kind of like in Dungeons and Dragons, where like playing a PC, playing a player character versus playing a monster. The, the monsters have a lot of abilities they can use over and over again. Oh yeah. Because the monster is only going to be here for one encounter. And then either you, you lose or you kill it. Players have various abilities that are limited in time. Because the players will be going from encounter to encounter. And you want them to feel like they've used up resources. The monster that could only do certain things so many times wouldn't feel as epic in a confrontation. Going into PvE content you're fighting things again. They, they either, they win or they kill you, they kill you or you kill them. Mm-hmm. But PVP, if you get killed or if they get killed, somebody wins the encounter, there's variations to it. There's battlegrounds and they work a certain way. There's arenas and they work a certain way. And that's why PVP talents can have a different feel and have different, you know, ideas behind them than PVE stuff. I think it's just that simple. Um, I, I get what you're saying, though. I, there's some stuff warriors get for PvP. I'd absolutely love, um, but I can understand why it would sort of be abused. So,
1: yeah, and honestly, like, and uh, I'm just gonna say it. Like, I like, I like the fact that they divided that out. I think it makes for more interesting and diverse gameplay in those respective uh, components of the game. So, I know I'm probably gonna get yelled at later for that, but I, I'm happy that those talents are separated. All right, our next one comes from our good friend Tetsemi. Question for Blizzard Watch. In regards to the discussion you had on the last show around borrowed power leveling at the end of game, for me, a lot of MMOs feel best during the leveling process, 1-50 to 50, and Star Wars uh, The Old Republic, with the class stories are amazing, doing one that's in the new revamped new player zone and WoW, etc. Borrowed power borrowed power, as you said, and to a lesser extent, reputation grinds seem to try to capture that need-want to level something once you've run out of character levels. Paragon levels in Diablo 3 work to a point to foster this feeling because you're earning points to put into talents. Paragon levels in Shadowlands as well. But they all feel grindy and like an artificial progress, not real progress, like actual content leveling does to me. What type of system would you like to see at level cap that could capture that feeling you have making progress getting to level cap uh, or just starting a new character for the first time and going through the content again? Um, That's a real good question. I don't know if I have an answer, honestly.
0: Yeah, um... I can't sit here and say, well, they should do X. Because if I could do that, quite frankly, I would be working there. Um, I'm not a a video game designer. I'd love to be, but I'm not. And this is the question that they've been trying to answer for multiple expansions now. Um, Because I I think I pointed out, WoW has always had a borrowed power system. It's just that it used to just be gear. Like, if you played in vanilla... And I remember this because I I was I remember doing it. As you went through the raids and you got better gear, you'd then go to the next raid and get better gear again, and then you'd go to the next raid, and you, eventually you'd be at Naxx and you'd have the best gear in the game. And that was that was the borrowed power system. It was a guy in Naxx gear. Oh yeah, could uh, Just, utterly destroy things.
1: Oh yeah, one man army. I, mean, I,
0: I went one to a, army. I remember going into dungeons with to help people get. Uh, Attunements and stuff for their alts and i was tanking on a character who had been tanking up to saffron i was unstoppable Mm -hmm. i was so unstoppable that i had to take my pants off just to generate rage (laughs) i'm not kidding here i don't mean in real life i mean my character went around with no pants on you had to you had to get
1: hit folks you had to get hit and take damage
0: Yeah, I had to actually get hit and take damage, otherwise, I couldn't generate any rage. I couldn't generate any threat because I wasn't taking any damage. So, yeah, I actually had to go around with my pants off. Um, <laughs> I did not have Thunder Fury yet. I got Thunder Fury later. Uh, but I was tanking with a Quelserar. And Quelserar had a really great enchantment for tanking. But it also meant I took even less damage. So, yeah. Um, it got to the point where, like, someone once said, you know, why don't you take your shield off because nothing's going to kill you? And they weren't kidding. Like, I didn't get healed for an entire dungeon run once. No, I got a couple of hots. That's it. No direct heals were cast on me aside from, from, like, two or three hots. Every heal I got for that thing was, was basically just, oh, well, his, his health's starting to drop a little bit. Here's a here's a heal over time. yeah. And that's, that's how that system worked. And it was fine for a while. And we talked about how it, it got broken, I think, in Wrath of the Lich game. Wrath Ra- definitely tilted that, yeah. And so then we start seeing like additions and changes and so forth badge gear, uh, you know, vendor gear, stuff trying to, to make up th- for the problems of, of, you know, random loot and, and how that system worked. And then we started getting systems like the Artifact and what we've got now in game where. Other systems e- exist to also make you more powerful and to give you progression feelings. But as as semi pointed out, they do feel extremely grinding.
1: Yeah, and I, the thing is, is, like, whoever can figure out how to solve this particular riddle will have created the perfect MMO. And the reason I say that is because I don't think any MMO does it well. They all have different ways that they approach sort of this max level. Uh, trying to to make you feel rewarded for gameplay, but it's really really difficult to find something that works for a vast majority of players. It's it's almost the impossible question: How do you make everybody happy and feel like their time in game still means something? And then, like to I think
0: say, one thing I just want to get into: I think WoW actually tries to do this by having multiple different ways yes, to do it.
1: I would agree. Yeah, WoW does it that way. Uh, Final Fantasy fourteen has its own way of approaching it with the multiple job system, uh, as well as uh, like the housing system and things like that. Um, WildStar used to to have the housing system and stuff like that to, to give you things that you could still progress and earn that made you feel like you were doing something with the content. But it's a tricky thing because if you make leveling just be so long that it is the only thing you do and that's what the game revolves around and then you get to max level and there's nothing to do, you just go back to the beginning and start over again with a different character, then that gets sort of boring for certain Some people, people.
0: stop playing if that's what you do. Yeah. It's just, some people leveling is not fun. I mean, you, you, for you it is, and, and that's cool. I like leveling. Uh, so, absolutely. But it's not like Dungeons and Dragons where in D&D you level until you get to the, like, they're if you get to level twenty, you basically you're done, and most campaigns don't ever get there. Uh, but but video games are not tabletop role playing games. There's a different system here. A lot more people get to end game in in MMOs, mm-hmm. so it does have a different design focus. I don't. I'm, I'm going to try and like just come up with one, just so it feels like I'm I'm trying to answer the question instead of talking about why it's very hard to answer. One thing that could be done is to go back to the path of the Titans idea where it's almost like a subclass. You get to maximum level and you unlock like, you know, I want to, you know, I'm playing a warrior because it's me. Of course I'm playing a warrior. Come on. I get to max level in the expansion and now the path of the Titans opens and I can decide what kind of buffs and bonuses do I get? How does my character change? It's sort of like the mythic, the mythic adventures system from Pathfinder, uh, where you can become like a you know a, a champion or a defender or you know the ones that they're going to have in Pathfinder Kingmaker, where where you start channeling the power of angels mm-hmm. or demons or other beings. Imagine if your warrior could like sign up and be like you know one of you know could could join the titans and gain power from them, or they could even you know start hunting down and like you know killing demons and using their the tricks against them or they could be tainted by undeath and these are all choices you could make that would give you you know it's kind of like the covenant thing but it's specifically your it's choices right now you choose a covenant and that's pretty much the end of your choices imagine if choosing a covenant was just the first step on deciding how your character was going to play and there were new talents and abilities you could get and you'd level them Kind of more like a, a, a Paragon system. Something that would be different and distinctive. That might work. It would still kind of feel grindy, though. I don't see a way around that. Um, possibly make the stuff you get kind of like... Imagine if the system we have for the legendaries, where you have to go and get the legendaries for dungeons and so forth. Imagine if that was just applied to you. That might be kind of interesting. I don't know. What do you think, Joe? You got any ideas for how to
1: do this? I don't know. This is something I think about often and I've talked about with, with folks uh, not on the podcast, but like I've never been able to come up with something that doesn't feel grindy as, as I'll get out. And it's because when you hit that max level, it's here's, here's where I struggle with it. It's the power gain. As you level, you gain powers. And I think maybe path of the Titans wouldn't be a terrible idea, um where maybe you can have things that augment or adjust what your abilities or talents do and maybe instead of leveling maybe it's something that you earn ways or points or things to move points around like maybe there's a finite number of of things that you can have active at a time maybe similar to what the conduit system is i actually kind of really like the conduit system actually um and maybe instead of you know, you leveling or doing things to earn points. Maybe it's you leveling up in or earning, doing things to earn ways to move that around so that you can do different things or unlock different things, whether it's cosmetics or visual appearances or whatever. And it becomes almost like a finite resource that you do things to sort of replenish over time. Um, do
0: you think also we've talked before about cosmetic systems. And for some players, that would not be particularly interesting. Mm -hmm. so i had to suggest it but i do think like imagine if you could we have the uh the racial i mean uniforms that are like the transmogs that are coming out you know i'm a dwarf so i get the dwarf transmog i'm a gnome so i got the gnome transmog sort of thing imagine if you had that for a class and like every class had like multiple different ones that you could take up To use like again, we're going to use warriors as an example because I play them a lot. Imagine if like warriors, if you're a a dwarf playing a warrior, you could get the Mountain King. You know, if you were playing a a Torn, you could get like the you know the Hoof Lord or something. I don't, I don't, or Torn Chieftain, what have you, and and you could progress in that, and you could pick specific things that were not power upgrades necessarily, but flavor changes to abilities. Like for the, the Mountain King, the avatar form would like literally turn you into a giant rock thing. It would be very distinctive looking uh, for the Torrent Chief. And the avatar is just, you know, summoning the power of your ancestors. So you get like a ghostly sheen of an ancestor around you as you're fighting. Kind of like the, the you know, the Diablo ancients thing where you, mm-hmm. could, you could have power of the ancients or what have you. Various and, and every class could have some and you could progress in like there'd be some that would be. Like I said, racial ones like the dwarf one or the Toran one. There would be some that were just like you know the Juggernaut, where you're you're still tanking. You're still a, if you if you took as a Prot Warrior, you're still tanking. You're still doing everything the same way, but the stuff is more about how you know instead of it being about blocking with your shield or whatever, it's about how nothing can stop you. You just you take the damage and you don't die, and it, and it's that's how it works. And if you're an Arms Warrior, it's just about how big and powerful you are. There's there's ways you could do it that aren't. That aren't power progression, but they are progression. People went nuts for the Warlock Green Fire. Remember that?
1: Oh yeah, that was, that was amazing.
0: It. Not everybody uses it, but lots of people wanted it. And it, even if they didn't didn't use it, they still went and did the quest because it was a cool quest, and you got now I can do that if I want to. So I think like that kind of thing could really work. Where it's progression, but it isn't going to give you any new power. It's just going mm-hmm. to let you change the way you play. The, the way you look when you play. Yeah. Or, or even add maybe a few things that are differently empowering. Like instead of heroic leap, you get like magnum charge or something. Where instead you like pinball your character off of two things. You could actually charge. And when you hit the guy you charge, you immediately charge to something else nearby. And that, that's not really going to make you a lot stronger, but it's different and it's a unique way to, to play it. Maybe stuff like that. That's that's all I can come up with at this point, though.
1: But we and we talk about that a lot. But I think it is a good idea. I think the idea of having uh, a certain level of of cosmetics uh, or or something that like doesn't mechanically change like damage or give an advantage, but instead just changes how things look or give you a way to further customize your character. I think those are cool ideas uh, and maybe you can work that into something where it's something you work towards and uh, you gain as you level up uh, sort of yeah. like that, that meter, right? Like as you get further through it, it becomes more and more so, right? So.
0: Like we used to have runes that did this kind of thing and then we lost runes and I feel like sometimes we lost them too soon. Like there was, there was some interesting stuff in there. And then it basically uh, there's a few that are still around, but it used to be a whole thing. And I feel like maybe it got flushed away too fast.
1: Yeah, Maybe. But I'm definitely down with that. Yeah. So uh, I think we can move on to the next one there, which is from our friend Rickles. Hey, watchers, do we know what's up with the worgen nowadays? Did they ever make it back to Galnaeus? Also, what have been your favorite covenant campaign and why? I don't think they've gotten back. I think that was, like, on the docket to do, but I don't think they ever actually took Gilneas back,
0: right? I I don't think that in in lore, I don't believe they've actually taken Gilneas back. I know that when you did the, the, in Cataclysm, the rogue dagger quests, you go to Gilneas, and it's currently, like, a war-torn nightmare land uh, with, like, black dragons as warlords and stuff, uh, although they're in disguise, but, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it... I think that's the most recent example of the story, and I don't think we've heard anything since. Obviously, the Worgen were still in Darnassus when it got burned, because they're literally their king and queen were there trying to defend it.
1: I mean, she um, she yeah. died, didn't she?
0: No, no, Mia lived.
1: Mia lived. She that's right. Died. That's right. She almost died.
0: Yeah, she did live. Um, so clearly, they were still. Most of them were still living uh, in Darnassus. So yeah, I don't believe they have. I want them to. Very badly, but I don't believe they have. Uh, yeah. As for my favorite Covenant campaign, I like the Kyrian one. Uh, I think the Venthyr one has like some really cool story stuff, and we know we're going to see more about it. Um, but i got to go with Ardenweald, because I really like Ardenweald. I feel like it works really well for the character I play the most. I, I really like the kind of... I don't want to call it amoral, but the, the Winter Queen's particular brand of pragmatism where she's not like malevolent and she doesn't wish harm upon people she's but she's she's neutral i don't even i'd say she's neutral i just feel like she goes along with this specific kind of approach to things where like some things you accept some things are part of what happens things die things things are reborn that's part of the 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 cycle but when she you know gets her dudgeon up She's really impressive. Uh, I really, and I feel like I want to see more of that. I know we're going to get more of the Kyrian story in 9.1, and I'm hoping we get more of the other ones too. Um, But yeah, they're all, I think they're all pretty good. I didn't do the Maldraxxus one, and I feel like, we're, but we are going to see more of that. No, no, that's not true. I did, well, I did some of the Maldraxxus one. Um, we're going to definitely see more of that in 9.1 because we we find out things about stuff that's mentioned there that I'm not going to talk about now because it would be spoilers. And we do a whole lore podcast every week, so I'll save it for that. But, yeah, that that's my take. I, I end up having to go with Ardenweald. Joe?
1: I think Ardenweald is still my favorite simply because, again, I tend to like the way that story unfolds. I think it is uh, my favorite in terms of cohesiveness. Uh, And what you do and what you're dealing with and and everything, it just speaks to me in a way as a player that it just tends to stand out as my favorite. I think all of them are pretty dang cool. Uh, I think there's some really cool aspects to all of them. Uh, So it's... You can't go wrong picking any of them. I think... I think they all have their merits. I think they all have a good story to tell. And I do appreciate that there's more story coming in 9.1. And we talked about this before, especially on Lore Watch, where the Covenant campaigns ended at a point where it feels like it's just the first chapter and that there's more story to be told in every single one of them. And I think that's very, very true. And I think at the end of this expansion, it'll be a very interesting uh, thought experiment to go back and to see what we feel is the best campaign in our, like, or our favorite campaign after everything is done. Because so
0: far right now, I will say that I'm, I feel a lot more like these are closer than mm -hmm. I did in Legion.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, some, yeah, yeah. Some
0: class campaigns were like really lacking. Like I felt like the warrior one was kind of stale. The death knight one was super cool. The paladin and priest ones were cool. Uh the shaman one was really cool and the warrior one was just I get to be Odin's Pokemon. So yeah, I I I definitely feel like they've gotten by only doing 4 instead of doing like, you know, the the 12 or 11 or they did that time. We've gotten we've gotten a lot closer to getting them all to, around the same way in terms of quality i, I definitely think they're all pretty good the Maldraxus one is surprisingly good for me because i didn't like Maldraxus or thought i wanted to do it at all and then i was like oh no this is really interesting
1: yep uh, i th- and I, th- I think i agree with your sentiment everything is much closer than it ever was before so i don't know anything else you want to add to that before i move on
0: no i think that's
1: pretty good All right. This is a a bit of a longer one. So bear with me, folks. Uh, Greetings to those who watch all that is chilly. I appreciate when you guys put, you know, different epitaphs in there. Uh, Long time, first time. Uh, As we are currently dealing with the Shadowlands, this is the perfect time to do something with the Forsaken. I'm not sure if anyone else has thought about this, but I believe I might have a couple ways to solve the Forsaken's plight. Firstly, seeing as the technology already exists that allows gnomes to become mechanomes, couldn't the same technology be used on the Forsaken bodies? Being able to always have body parts to swap when damaged seems like a great ability to have, and would dramatically increase their ability to not decline in number from combat. Plus, while I know that Warhammer 40k Necrons don't have the same lore as Forsaken, I've always loved their aesthetic. Undead cyborgs sound awesome, and it's something that the Horde really needs. More shiny, less explodey, and spiky tech. Alternatively, the idea of a soul being what uh, being able to be transferred to a new body exists in lore with the best example being the Valijar. Uh While we still don't know exactly what the deal between Sylvanas and Helio was, maybe part of it was to learn how to stormforge, or do something similar to the Forsaken. As the Forsaken are undead humans, as we all know humans are descendants of the Vrykrul, the process should be easy enough to do. Or Odin or whoever is currently residing in the Halls of Stone slash Lightning now might not uh, appreciate us barging in, uh, but the facilities are relatively ready to be used again to, pr- to pr- produce bodies. Just a couple ideas that would make great additions as allied races, if not completely replacing Forsaken. Thanks for indulging this thought. Uh Malefic Maleficus, the Balance Druid from hyjal Yeah, that's we talk about this a lot, and we've talked about this a bunch on um the Lore Watch podcast. It's it's what do you do with the Forsaken at this point? And we, I think Matt and I have both agree that the Forsaken need some time in the light uh, right now, if for nothing else, because of everything that just happened and then got dropped. Because their story sort of peaked with the whole Sylvanas betrayal of everything, and then nothing else has been said or done about it. And they definitely deserve some attention. Like, what are they going to do? Like, what, what, how are they dealing with this? How are they, they coping with this? And we also talked about the whole soul thing. Uther has sort of thrown a weird monkey wrench into that whole, whole plan, right? It's this, this idea that your soul could potentially be split maybe, and what does that mean for the Forsaken? Do the Forsaken have all of their souls? Are they the same entity that they were in, in life, that they are now in undeath? Is is it just the body decaying? And to go back to something you mentioned, you mentioned the 40K lore about the Necrons. Um, in Age of Sigmar, they talk about the Stormcast Eternals, where they are essentially the Valajar. They're, they're the folks that souls are being reforged. But there's this concept that when they die, they're reforged again, and they continue to lose pieces of themselves in a slow descent into insanity as they are reforged endlessly over eons. Is that what happens to them? Mechanomes aren't exactly a perfect entity. We don't know what long-term being in a robot body is going to do for them. Uh, maybe oh, yeah, it for makes that them matter, crazier.
0: The mechanomes are an imperfect attempt at re-mechanization. Yeah, the remechanization is not the mechagom process the mechame process is lopping stuff off and replacing it with metal parts mm-hmm. it's different that's not your original arm whereas uh he mecha, you know I can't remember his first name I remember his his second name was zod um uh, no it was overseer wasn't it the king no 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 in in uh in Borean tundra Oh, There's a quest yeah. where you find one of the original gnome, gnomes, the mecha gnomes, one of the original ones. He gets dug up, and he starts immediately returning the gnomes to mecha gnomes. Like, he can undo the Curse of Flesh, and he's doing it. And the gnomes are like, could you stop him? We like being flesh. And Mechazod. you go, and he's like, mecha zod. Thank you. I knew it was zod. I can remember. And he's like, when you go to him, he's like, no, no, why are you fighting me? I just want to return you to perfection. And he's like, he's like, I'm so sad that you're doing this, but I must fight you because I got to get rid of this horrible thing that's happened to you. That's what the mechanomes want to do, but they can't do it. The mechanome process is not that it's not perfect. Uh, it does not reverse the curse of flesh and make them mechanical beings. It's, they're still gnomes with gnome brains and gnome flesh. They're just lopping it off. Would that work for Forsaken? I haven't got a clue because I don't know how it works. I don't know if you require a life force to power that thing. I have no no concept. Um, I do know that it's not very likely now that the gnomes and mechanomes are united mm-hmm. and that, you know, one guy is king of both. That he is going to give the technology to the Forsaken, which would mean either a we have to have a heist film, where where like some horde, a bunch of hordes doing an, ocean, an Ocean's Eleven, to steal the the secrets of of mechanoming and give that to the Forsaken, or some enterprising goblin is going to have to try and come up with the goblin version of it. And boy, that's a brave Forsaken is willing to strap on those parts, man.
1: Explodey uh, and spiky says hello. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I don't know. Um, and I, I also think to a certain degree that you don't necessarily want the Forsaken to come up with a solution to this. Part of their deal is that they are crumbling and, you know, doomed. That's sort of the, 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 the aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, but if I mean- there's a, no, 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 just, just hear me out. It doesn't mean there shouldn't be more done with them and we shouldn't get to see some progress for them as characters. It just means that Forsaken are Forsaken. You don't necessarily want them to like, oh, hey, now we have a perfect solution and everything's great. No, but you could have horrible experiments that go wrong. (laughs) That's very Forsaken. (laughs) Forsaken are all about horrible experiments going wrong. That goes all the way back to vanilla when my Torrin found herself, you know, getting stuff from color pools in in Ashara and bringing it back to to, uh, Lordaeron and only for the Forsaken Alchemist to kill the Torrin I was trying to cure. Like, oh, well, that still taught me a lot. So I could see. Imagine they they manage to make a raid. They manage to like make a deal with Helya, Then they make a raid into the halls, you know, the halls of Valor, steal something. They steal like a codex that supposedly contains the secrets to making, you know, their own uh, vrykul.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but when they try it, it, doesn't really work like they hoped, and you get something horrible. What's horrible to a Forsaken? You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, yeah, sure, that's a nightmare creature with bone wings, and, you know, it, it screams, and it never stops screaming. But, you know, it, it does actually allow us to, like, repair our bodies. We just have to keep it, you know, contained. Eh, that's that's worth giving a shot. You know, okay, sure, sometimes it combines two Forsaken into one body. Not ideal. Uh, Apparently, it drives you insane and turns you into a monster. Wants to kill. Now you've got a dungeon concept here. You know the halls of rebirth. Ooh, they want to. Yeah. They want to fix being forsaken. They've got all these experiments, things they've been trying. None of them have worked out yet. I mean, they did steal all that gnome technology and gave it to that one one goblin to try and make it work. Okay. So far, all we've got is a bunch of death locks that want to kill us. But, you know, it's it's at least it's, it's a first step. Meanwhile, we've also tried to, re- to return souls into bodies. Apparently, Forsaken souls aren't aren't entirely compatible. But, you know, we've been trying. Screaming monster. But, you know, hey, again, it's a step. And, and, and that could be like a whole thing. And, and it doesn't change the Forsaken immediately. But now it gives you an idea that there is some progress being made. There is an attempt. The they, Forsaken are trying to become something else. They're trying to... Now they they don't have Sylvanas anymore, or if they do, I don't know what's going to happen with Sylvanas, but they don't have... The the world isn't the way it used to be, and they're trying to grow on. Maybe there's, like... Imagine there's one who's trying to recreate the Menethil process.
1: Yeah, and I was actually going to bring that up. Like, we we still have not resolved that whole thing. Like, that's a thing that exists. Menethil is in Shadowlands. She's in the Shadowlands. Like, she's there. Like, how are the Forsaken feel about that? She's been around for a little bit now. How's that going? What is? Are they trying to recreate that? Is she trying to help recreate that? Like, there, there's a, there's a lot you could do to make it a very complicated and messy thing that becomes a longer story. And I like the, the I like where your head's at with that. Yeah, right. You
0: don't necessarily want to undo everything. Super. You don't want it to be neat. No. You don't want it to be, oh, we've got a solution now. But the idea that they're trying to get a solution. I mean, and, and have different people who have different ideas. Like one guy just wants to return them to life. So, so we're going to like we're going to we're going to straight up become living beings again. So far, it hasn't worked. And everything that he's tried has been a horrible monstrosity. But he's working on it. Hey, I uh, saw that thing help? happen
1: in, in Ardenwald once. Maybe I can apply it here.
0: And meanwhile, there's another one who's like, no, no, what we need is cyborgs. And of course, that hasn't worked. But again, you, Forsaken experiments ha- from the beginning of, the you know, they've always been nightmares. <laughs> you know, get, putting those the people in charge of coming up with multiple versions of the plague, it, you know, on this project, you're going to get some warped stuff. But mm-hmm. that's cool. Get some reanimator stuff happening. You, you, you go with it, play play along with the idea. I think there's a lot we could do here. I would like to see more happen for the Forsaken. I absolutely would. Uh, for uh, I just want to know where they live, or well, they, of course, they don't do any living. I want to know where they keep their stuff, <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, because I mean, they, they can't, uh, they're not going to be able to stay in
0: Orkmar for very long, right? I, mean, I guess they could, but like, do you want to? I mean, as it is. Someone was like, you know, so they they have that whole place garage was going to use as a base. They could go live down there. I'm like, so they have. So basically, they get to live in in Orgrimmar's sewers now.
1: Well, technically, like, it's a basement, it, not a sewer, but you yeah, but
0: know, is there any point where they the forsaken could just go live someplace, or again, not live? They're not going to be doing any of that, but they could just go be. They don't have to go hide in the basement or the sewer or what have you. They could just just be on the surface and be there. I don't know. I I feel like. Ander Hall would be a good place for the Forsaken to colonize, and and build a new city that they they actually can be in at the on the surface and not have to go hide in the sewer. I, I really feel like there's there's a lot you can do to like progress them and I and in a way that doesn't take away what they are. Yeah,
1: and I mean, and there's a certain level of that too that I think that that for lack of a better term that I think we're missing as well is like Shadowlands opens up a whole other opportunity uh for that specifically with Maldraxus, right? Maldraxus, the skeleton pit of 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 the Shadowlands is a wonderful place for horrible experimentation and it highlights how you can use anima to recreate things that are very close and adjacent to Forsaken. And so, like, you could have a whole experimentation with that, a whole exploration of Anima. Maybe they're making deals with brokers. Like, I think that it is one of the most ripe, like, seeds for, like, something to bloom from that we could possibly have in in this game that I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting for something to happen with it. Like, I I want Forsaken to have a massive part in what's coming up. And I think that would be, I I would be fine with. And Skylands, I see you in chat there. um, I agree. And I think at the same time, we should swing back to the Worgen. And at the same time that the Forsaken are figuring their stuff out, Worgen should be figuring their stuff out for the Alliance. So you have an equitable thing because that's another thing that just has not been touched, right? Uh, Gen has been just dealing with You know, helping run the alliance and now basically running the alliance uh, because Anduin is, you know, basically being ridden around like a drone um, or piloted like a drone. But they still have a homeland to get to. Where are they going to go now? Are they just going to live in Stormwind? Are they going to run around in the, you know, the weird worgen infested hills that are just south of there? And it was a Darkshire. Um, What's going to happen with them? What's going on with them? You can do an equivalent thing as well with them sort of figuring out their space, and I think everybody could be happy, or at least happy-ish, with some storytelling that expands upon that. But yeah, I've been waiting for those those sort of, like, those seeds to blossom. I really, really have. Uh,
0: But that's probably it for the show right because we
1: yeah we're we're time. right at we're right up on time uh so i'm gonna go ahead and do my thing and then you can do your thing uh blizzard watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzard watch your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow blizzard watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads free
0: site experience thank you very much joe uh again guys if you got questions uh by the way, that last one really went. I'm actually really happy with how that went. Kudos, that was cool.
1: Very um, good question.
0: If you've got a question for the show, you can do one of two things. Uh, you can send it to our email address, podcast. Blizzardwatch.com. subject line "Podcast of Blizzard Watch." So I don't get hit in the back of the head with a rock by Joe. You know, at some point, it wasn't um, a rock. No, no, not this time. But you know, we we know it's coming. Uh, I, every time I hear that Star Trek music startup, I'm afraid. Uh, Or you can go to our our Discord, and we've got the Patron Q and Podcast Questions channel, or the Q Questions channel. Or sometimes, actually, we we do try to take stuff from the people in the live audience. We didn't do any of that this week, unfortunately, but we have in previous weeks, and we are always looking to do that. Uh, That's something we want to get more audience interaction with. Uh, So those are how you can do that. Uh, This has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast. Uh, Thank you guys for being here with us, and we'll see you next week.